I can remember your face lighting up in camaraderie, solidarity, sounding board comfort. And you were like, oh, this is a thing yeah. that other people have gone through, including Rachel. And now I'm in the elder care experience as an umbrella. Once you know you're a member of the, the club and there are other club members, it's like, oh, thank God. It's yeah. still hard, yeah. it's right? Like a it's sucked. Yeah, yeah, sisterhood, exactly. Which is a, a term you had coined, hey. actually. <laughs> Can I call it? Do mm -hmm. I call it? Mm -hmm. Hi, Grandma. So, do you want to play, Grandma? You want to play that part from Measure Nine? Yep. Hello, fellow shit sisters and siblings. A Reverend Rachel here. Today, I'm interviewing a rare specimen, namely a middle of shit sister willing to go on record. My dear friend Celeste bravely shares an elder care story that is still being written, and her sweet father grants a first ever grandpa cameo. We talk about traumatic loss and tough decisions, effective therapy, and the efficacy of long-term care insurance. And most importantly, the joy of annual family memories created in a sacred place. Before I introduce you to my friend Celeste, let me just recap why this monthly podcast exists. After accumulating 10 years and counting of elder care intel, I decided to create my irreverent empire of insights, anecdotes, and audio all found on my website, thisisgettingold.com, just add some dashes, in order to support the undertakings of you, my fellow shit sisters and siblings. The purpose of my monthly podcast is to provide empathy and education about the start, middle, and end of the elder care trenches. And to remind each other why we're all gathered here together, I start each episode with a grandma cameo. Today we're checking in on grandma, who I haven't seen for over two weeks. She just received a clean bill of health from the heart doctor following this summer's excitement. He's putting his money for her end-of-life odds on her lung disease, before heart or cancer, in that order. Can't wait to see what unfolds. So, mother, I just got back from our summer vacation. And I haven't seen you in two weeks. <laughs> and in the time that I have been gone, I have had multiple impromptu conversations with adult children of elders who have reached out to talk about what do you do when your elder needs more help than they have by living in the home that they've been in their whole lives but they just want to stay in their home. And both of these people feel like, well, they want to stay there. You can't force them to make a different decision, even though it might be a better decision for them because they will have more social engagement. They will have more medical support. They'll have more physical support. And I have watched people over and over struggle with, what do you do with parents who just want to stay where they are? So, Mother, you used to be one of those parents. <laughs> and eight years ago, your husband was failing of everything and nothing, and he was using you as a human crutch, and your house was falling apart around you, and you guys did not necessarily have the means to stay in the high-tax school district that you raised both your daughters in. So what was your plan about how to take care of the new needs that you had. 
There wasn't. Say that again. There wasn't. There wasn't a plan. So, <laughs> so in retrospect, when your youngest daughter swooped in and said, holy shit, I'm taking over, this is a mess, what are your thoughts about the fact that I did that? What feedback would you give these adult children and these elders about the moment they are in right now where the elders don't want to move and the adult children don't want to pressure them to move? When you think about your child coming in and saying, you know what, I've taken an assessment of the situation and this is no longer sustainable for the elder or for the kids. How do you feel about that in retrospect? I think it's good now. Why? Because it was, I think, the right thing to do. Why? Because the other was not sustainable. And did you know that at the time? No. Would you have made a different decision for yourself if you were on your own? No, I don't think so. So what was the benefit of your adult child pushing for the decision they thought was best for everybody? The benefit was that they put together a life which made sense. So the first step was that your youngest daughter cruelly evicted you from your home. <laughs> and I sent him to his apartment and we sent you to Virginia. And how did that work out? I think it worked out fine. Why? Because it made each person able to function, I think, better. Describe it specifically so people understand why it was better. Well, for me, it was getting out to a place where I was on my own. Not being treated like a human crutch all day long? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, for him, it was just, I think he was confused which way he wanted it to go. He wanted me to be there, but not to be there, you know. Because he was dependent on you emotionally. Yeah, right. But at the end of his life, he was not the nicest guy to be around. That's right. Because he lashed out at everybody. So then when you lived in separate places, what was your relationship like? Better. And describe how. Well, I think mostly the relationship became... Can you open a window or something? Mm -hmm. uh, able to communicate on, on a phone and not be lashing out all the time, but just hearing each other talking and not having a day-to-day -day strife. So the way you have described it is that he wanted you to be in contact regularly, especially at the yep. end when he was in nursing home. And you guys had a very connected, mm -hmm. supportive relationship by phone, yep. and then the few times that you would see each other in person during the year, yep. I noticed that you were affectionate in your own ways. Yep. In a very disturbing way for me, I would watch you guys slather pain medicine all over each other's backs. What the hell was that crap that you guys used? Some weird ointment. Anyway, it was very cute in its own weird way. <laughs> and then there came another transition after he died where we realized it was probably time for you to come closer to me because my sister's family mm -hmm. was grown. And so we made another command decision for you. And we had another moment of you saying, what, where, who, when, as you opted out of having any specific opinion about what was about to happen to you. And I told you I was going to bring you to this restroom when you next visited me, check it out and see what you thought of it. 
and down to the very, very end where I signed the piece of paper on your behalf, you said, well, I don't know, I guess so, maybe. <laughs> and as usual, made absolutely no commitment to the process. And then we moved you in on March 1st of 2020, which meant we sent you to the type of home that was practically a death sentence for all elders in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, how did it go? Fine. Fine. So, ignoring the pandemic part, what would you say to other adult children and other elders in the situation considering moving out of their homes to a formal place that provides more social, emotional, and medical support? Is that a good oh, idea? Oh, yeah. This was much more the positive move to make. So I think it was much better than you being at home alone. That's and right. I think it was much better than you being in the Virginia yeah. apartment alone. That's right. But what is your point of view? My point of view is, at first I wasn't sure. I didn't think I'd end up with a home. But it's been fine. I think it's been more than fine, right? People give you your privacy, but you can also be friendly where you want to be. So you were very isolated when you were in your own home with Daddy in a mm -hmm. toxic environment. You were even isolated in Virginia in your apartment, even though you got to see family once yep. in a while. So compared to either one of those, what would you say are the benefits? Oh, I'm now on the food committee. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. <laughs> Grandma can't cook for shit, but yeah, she's on the food go. committee. Oh, no. How I got the food committee. Gotta help us all. <laughs> all right, you're on the food committee. You go to events. <laughs> You're making modern art that's going to be worth millions. And now, yeah, I'm doing modern art where I throw stuff on the... <laughs> you have lots of friends. You have a book club. You have music events. Yep. So, from my point of view, it's a pretty good existence. And the best part about it, Mother, I want your point of view on this. All of the adult children say to me, what is it like for me yes, to have a, you in an environment like that? And I say, oh, you mean compared to the years where I had to drop everything and drive three hours to I their know. house to take care of the latest crisis? Oh, wait, you mean when she was alone in Virginia and my sister had to travel and I had to manage her crises long distance across multiple states? I know. Oh, so by comparison, how do I feel about a place where she's medically, emotionally, physically, and socially supported mm -hmm. and I can go on vacation for two weeks? and not have to worry about her, and she doesn't even stress out either. How do I feel about that? I feel pretty damn good about that. I was hoping so. So how do you feel about that? Because <laughs> I thought, with this last vacation of yours, I thought, I can really manage and let Rachel have her vacation. Do you remember so, every time Becky used to have a vacation, you'd flip out, and then you'd call me every single day as if there was no support behind you at all? Yeah. And even though I knew there was support, and technically you knew you were the support, but, it didn't feel that way to you. Yeah. So what's the difference when you compare the two? Well, here, there is support, yeah. And I, I'd be thinking about how I hope you're doing well. You could have your vacation life and just get away. You could go to the ICU and come back, and I would never even have to know. Yeah. You could drop dead, and they'd send you to the funeral home and bury you. When you and got I wouldn't back, have they'd to deal say, with oh, anyway. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we took care of it for you. Right? Yeah, it's right. blissful. So what is your advice to any of these elders? Most of the people I'm talking to, their parents are super attached mm -hmm. to their homes. 
So if you, yeah, if you right. were talking to those people and mm -hmm. you could give them any comfort or advice, yeah. what would you say to them if their adult children truly feel like it's the right thing for yeah. the entire family? for them to go into a more supported environment, yeah. what would be your advice Well, I would strongly you know, support it and tell them so. I was thinking about that for this weekend. When the hurricanes hits, how is it going to be? I feel there is support here. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are helping with all these things. Because it's their job. And if you find a That's good... That's right, exactly. If you find a good home, it's not just their job, yep. it's their vocation. And my favorite part about coming to your home is every time I see the staff talking to the residents, they're not condescending to them, and they're not talking to them as if they're in charge and the residents are a problem. Yeah. They're talking to them like they're their friends. Yeah. And you guys have happy hour, and you're basically... Now we did again yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you're like one big family, and I think you have gotten more support here, quite frankly, than you've ever gotten from your own immediate family. All right, any last words of wisdom? No, I think this is a wise thing to do. And uh, sometimes I think, oh, I don't get the hell up. But then I think, no, there's a lot of support here. Did you just say, oh, I'm going to get the hell out? <laughs> is that what you just said? You're going to bust out of your rest home? What are you talking about? Because <laughs> I can't run out and get in the car. Or... Would you like to tell our listening audience the last thing you did? Before we took away your car keys, what? what happened when you tried to pass that bus? And there was a bus, and then there was a, some orange cones, and there was a lane too narrow to go by, but what did you do, Mom? Did you decide that you were going to go by anyway? Yeah. Did you sideswipe the entire length of a city bus? I had to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most people would have just stopped. I tried to stop. Uh-huh. I had no way to get out because I couldn't turn uh -huh. because it was a one-way street yep. and I was absolutely trapped there. Mm -hmm. So I was, should have stopped the car, but then I thought there were people behind me. Mm. And you panicked. Is this like the time when you were going 70 miles an hour bringing me to college <laughs> tours in Vermont and you tried to pass a semi-truck going up a hill up the hill. and then you panicked and you didn't press the brakes? What did you do, Mother? <laughs> What did I do? You threw it in reverse. So yeah, so you're gonna bust out of your rest home, jump into a car. Yeah, that's gonna go well, I'm sure. It's like yeah, a Thelma and Louise story over here. And now it's time to return to our regularly scheduled broadcasting. So Celeste, it's 2021 summer. We are sitting in our beautiful Chillmark spot where we met, and I'll say more about that. We've got the view of the ocean. We've got the catbirds complaining behind us. Every once in a while, we have a landscape truck, of which there are many, <laughs> rumbling past. And then sometimes the planes, I assume they're going back and forth to Logan, going overhead. Mm -hmm. And if people listen closely in the background, we have the sound of the, well, we have a panting Frenchie, and <laughs> we have a sound of the waves. So this is a... Uh, the idyllic setting for us rather than mm -hmm. being in a soundproof closet. <laughs> so tell me about the history of your time on the island at the spot and your parents and that'll just set the backstory of how we came to know each other. Sure. So Chilmark has always been a really special place for my family. It's where we've been coming close to 50 years and my parents knew the family that owned the cabin that you're staying in and they were talking to the patriarch of the family at one point 
And he said, oh, there's a little shack next door. There's a fishing, right? Uh, yeah, like hunting, hunting shack. shack. Hunting yeah, shack. people didn't actually use it in the summer. It was used in the fall, in duck hunting season. It had been built well over 100 years ago. And every year, at the end of August, early September, the hurricanes would roll through and everybody would get really nervous. But my mom would say, this, this little shack has been here for hundreds of years. It's Aww. not going anywhere. It's always been a time for my family where we just sort of pare back everything and focus on the simple things, just eating seafood and playing board games and reading. Where I came to learn is the much, basically more modest side of the island, more farm bucolic so when we did start looking into renting it was the same exact experience we had a connection to somebody who had rented your property for decades and right away there was a shared simplicity in terms of what our families valued and especially in our era this desire to unplug in a way that i think our parents could do easily so your parents were scientists and they were academics so mm -hmm. they could come here was it for the entire summer? Oh, when I was growing up, we came for about two weeks, but then and then eventually expanded. That's and yeah, it was very, it's because my mom was a professor of astronomy, so she was pretty busy during the year. But okay. August was the one month that she just unwound and totally recharged for the upcoming year. Starting in January, she would give me updates about the vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> we got the reservation. We got the boat. And, and then in May, it would be like, I can't wait for the vineyard. She had this picture on her wall in her office, which was the, the beach right here, you oh, know, wow. on a beautiful, perfect day. So it was around 2018 that we had a chance to talk to each other more regularly, mm -hmm. and so our family started making a point of, like, going to the beach together. And somewhere along the way, there was this speed dating conversation where we realized how much we had in common with elder care stuff and the mm -hmm. age and stage that we were in. And from that point forward, even though, ironically, you live literally in the next town over during the year, and we would technically have opportunity to connect with the pace of life with two working parents on both sides, like, that never happens. <laughs> Our river divides. So it's become this annual event where we connect and in between text each other. The early ones around 2018 were like, hey, can you help pick up this or that? And then about a month or two into it, it was like, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's... And we went yeah. deep yeah. into yeah. all the elder care stuff. So could you tell people a little bit about the arc from when I first met you mm -hmm. and you were talking about your mom and her dementia all the way to current moment? Mm -hmm. I remember talking to you and I, I think that I knew that life was getting harder and before that I had been so wrapped up in the joy of my family life and everyday things. I was aware that things were harder but I wasn't really aware that it was a thing. You had just been through a lot of hard times yourself. I can remember your face lighting up in camaraderie, solidarity sounding board comfort and you were like oh this is a thing yeah. that other people have gone through including Rachel and now I'm in the elder care experience as an umbrella once you know you're a member of the, the club and there are other club members it's like oh thank god it's yeah. still hard yeah. it's right like it's yeah, yeah sisterhood exactly which is a term you had coined hey. actually <laughs> <laughs> I remember those early moments for you or about I think I need to have conversations with my sibling, yeah. with my parents, around my mother's dementia. Can you describe what was coming up for you at the time? Yeah, she was slowly having dementia. And I, in fact, I noticed it 
the first time out here on Martha's Vineyard because we spent so much time together. I was like, why does it take her three hours to make pancakes? Oh, wow. This is a woman that has a PhD in physics, and she was going gangbusters for so long. She retired when she was 83 and was still running road races out here. And how um, old was she at the point that we're talking about? Yeah, I would say right around 85, there was a sharp decline. Okay. And it's kind of normal for people with cognitive superpowers that right. they can hide it for a while. Yes, that's what uh, happened with my uncle when I tell people, and then he died quickly of Alzheimer's. Yeah. Everybody says, that doesn't happen. And right. I said, it's because he was hiding it, we yes. realized in retrospect, exactly. for years. Yeah, so I remember taking her to a neurologist and being like, you have to get her checked out. And, you know, the neurologist has all these tests and asks her all these questions, and she scores 100. One of them is, if I told you I could fly a helicopter to the moon, what would you say? And she dove right into the physics of why a helicopter will not work on the moon. <laughs> and so wow. he's telling me, you know, like your mom's going to hide you on this test. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, yes, but this morning she forgot to put the brake on the car and the car smashed into our neighbor's house. Oh, you know, so like God. somebody that knows her quite well, yeah. this is not, not how old. she used to be. And so I, I eventually convinced him, but somehow she got in her head that she had Parkinson's. And so that's what she told people she had. So. <laughs> And I remember giving her the literature on dementia, and she took it, went into the bedroom, and came out and right. said, I have Parkinson's. So, <laughs> so the moment you're describing, I remember you conferring with me and saying, I really need to bring her on this journey. I've printed out all this information. I'm going to give it to her. It, it was like this movie drama I was watching, and then there was this tense afternoon, and I hadn't seen you, and then I came back and connected you, and I said, what happened? How did it go? And you said, yeah, she was... <laughs> She's like, nope, I don't have it. I have Parkinson's. That's my deal. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's not like there's a, a drug for Alzheimer's that, that works. Mm -hmm. uh, so who wants to diagnose themselves with it, therefore? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, is, is it the end of the world that she denied it? Maybe not. Maybe it's okay. It's a healthy coping mechanism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> thing that came out of our conversations with you was that you pointed out I was at the start of something and mm. I was like aha like, <laughs> that's what this awful <laughs> feeling is yes right <laughs> and maybe I should be a little bit more proactive and of course the question is well how do you be proactive right. it is the sort of this scramble where you're trying to organize as much as you can to something that you really can't predict but one thing that we did talk about was doing an end-of-life conversation, which is something we did out here. Oh, I forgot um, about that. Yeah. That was super cool. Could yeah. you describe what you did? We were talking about life with the family is always kind of chaotic, and I think we started it at the house, but then we continued the conversation in the car. It was the five questions, and it was about what sort of treatment do you want, and was there anything you want your family to know? At the time, I did not get much out of it, but my mom did say that she didn't want to be uncomfortable. So jumping ahead, she did die dramatically and unexpectedly and it was comforting to then go back and look at that conversation mm. and be like, oh, she didn't have to be uncomfortable. I, I get a lot of chills talking to these because <laughs> we've been through so many pointed moments. So won't get into the details because it was tragic. But what was fascinating to me was that for as many specific details as you and I shared, mm. I knew enough of your family and your mom's situation that I knew it wasn't normative to all of a sudden get a text from you that said, my journey is over, mm -hmm. right? She's gone and, and how deeply you missed her. And I just remember looking at that text being like, oh my God, I, I don't know 
how, I don't know when, I don't know what, but I can tell, I could just feel mm -hmm. how tough it was. That was last summer, a year ago. What would you want other people to know about what you and your dad went through with her mm -hmm. actual moment of loss and since then that has been helpful for both of you? It was a traumatic, unexpected passing and both my dad and I had some form of PTSD and it was really, really hard in some sense. Um, we all know it's coming. I remember you telling me the st stories of those seven family members and still I remember something didn't compute in my head. I was like, well, that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> that is somebody else. Yes, that happened to somebody else. So, you know, even though the signs were on the wall, mm -hmm. it felt very new to me. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I didn't know how to grieve. I was listening to somebody on WMVY the other day who was talking about how, you know, we get sex ed in school, but we don't get death ed. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to handle it mm -hmm. at all. And I, I was reading a lot, trying to understand other people's experiences because I never had lost grandparents. I hadn't really lost anybody. Wow. And that's actually a big deal. Just to, to pause on that, the practice of going yes. through death. Right. 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 I've never sat around thinking, oh, part of the reason I'm comfortable with this topic is because of past practice. But now that I think about it, I was actually in my dad's mom's deathbed when she was dying of cancer. Oh, and then the other um, related moment was my mom's mom actually was recovering from, I guess it was probably a mini stroke. And then she was at her house and she seemed to be on the mend and she was walking across the living room and I was about 13 and she had a heart attack in my arms. <laughs> yeah, And I just remember looking down at her and being like, oh my God, her dentures are flopping around in her mouth. This is not pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't die on the spot, but she went to the hospital and then oh. died. But again, maybe it's part temperament, but I, I just didn't experience it as traumatic. And, and I was lucky that both of them were older. There's something innate about this is going to happen eventually to all of us. It wasn't this tragic, taken too soon moment. But to your point, hearing now for the first time that that, that was really kind of one of your first ever death experiences, and it's your mom. Mm -hmm. Right. That's yeah. hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of knocked me off my feet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so much of the mother loss resources on my site come from you. Because mm -hmm. when I saw you that summer, right after, you, you were just naming reams and reams mm -hmm. and reams of articles and mm -hmm. books that I know you said you were turning to yeah, for relief right. and, yeah. like you say, to learn to grieve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of like trying to take a scholarly approach to it. Yeah. We should name both you and your husband are academics, right? So that's what you do, like your parents before you. It was somewhat helpful. I took a poetry class this winter that actually helped me deal with my emotions in a more sideways fashion rather than psychology research just writing down my memories and experiences in poetic verse really healed me in a different way wow. and somehow it was too much to take it on directly and that's something i, I hope to continue that's amazing was it yeah. around grief it was a facebook group actually okay. that i just found and yeah. and it it was actually haiku, so it was poems about nature. Mm. So every week you had an assignment about the January moon or crickets in the fall. <laughs> it was a seasonal thing. So. I love that. <laughs> so you were supposed to write a poem about nature, but I would say 90% of the people in the group were working through some sort of grief. Huh. Like a lot of the ones in the spring were snowdrops and yeah. crocuses, and people would talk about going to their grandmother's garden and the, oh. the, how they would still come up. That's powerful. Yeah. And so I did that, and then I also did 
EMDR therapy. Could you describe that? It's eye movement desensitization. A psychologist, I think in the 1980s, was walking through the forest mm -hmm. and she noticed if she moved her eyes back and forth rapidly, she felt more relaxed. Huh. Sometimes I think about that when I'm taking my dog for a walk and he's walking back and forth <laughs> rapidly. I'm like, oh, this is free. <laughs> she took it back to the lab and started studying it. Wow. And it became the subfield, okay. but slowly it's gaining traction. They now do it on veterans of war and it's exploded. Prince Harry did it on national television this summer. Oh, wow. So now it's, now it's on now the thing. <laughs> yes. So but the basic idea yeah, just... is that you have some sort of bilateral stimulation. So okay. you can move your eyes back and forth. I did it on Zoom and I tapped each shoulder. My dad did it as well. And okay. so that was the other thing is I noticed my dad had a huge improvement when he did it. When my mom died, we were out here on the vineyard just afterwards and oh he couldn't, God. you know, and really did, do much. For folks to know he was present when yes, she died was, yeah, exactly. was the trauma for him. Yeah. And basically a lot of it is resource building. So mm -hmm. you tap, you know, your shoulders, he would do his elbows and you imagine some positive memories. I asked him what he was thinking about. He said, our family walking on the beach mm. together. But it was amazing. In August, I would say he was not functional, mm -hmm. needed to be taken care of. And I remember visiting him in September and he was walking around the house, cooked me dinner, dancing around wow. by himself. And so after doing resource building where you're strengthening those positive memories, yeah. you go to the hardest possible moment. Yeah and re-experience it. And then once you've done that, you go back there again with resources. But you're like Harry Potter and you get to go back with your cloak and redo stuff. You yes, know what I'm yeah, reading now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly what it is. So in the beginning it was like imagine sort of a circle of people that love you, that are supportive of you. And then you go back and you revisit those memories now surrounded by, by all people. that support. So I would say it's really decreased the anxiety and stress. One of the things that surprised me about grief, because I had no experience with it, is it was so much anxiety. I thought mm. it would be sadness, mm. but for me, it was anxiety, like not being able to breathe. That feeling when you're a little kid and you're in the supermarket and you're looking for your mom and you yeah. can't find her, wow. right? Like that sort of anxious feeling. Yes. And so yes. imagine being on that state of alert for all the time. All the time. Right. Yeah. Wow. So I think what this has done is been able to lower that anxiety mm. for me. And then a lot of it is going back and comforting the person that was traumatized. Mm. That mm -hmm. memory I have of, of that. Yes. Thank you. I'm right there with you in the emotions of it. And I have to say that I always have to be honest with myself that in part temperament, but in part because of some of the ambivalent relationships I had with the parents who passed. There's only the parent figures in my life that I lost that I can relate to that level of loss and uh -huh. grief. My dad, good person, dare I say, quoting one of my favorite 80s John Cusack movies, better off dead. <laughs> like he was just suffering cognitively and otherwise, and, and he caused a lot of suffering with his behaviors. Mm -hmm. The two people for whom I have these feelings that you're describing was the parent figures because they got lucky. They they could be the extras that didn't have to raise me and I could put them on a pedestal, which they didn't yeah. necessarily deserve. And I know it made my parents sad sometimes by comparison, but they were always there for me. They were, they were a, a source of support in many different ways. And so I remember deeply feeling and having to go through it twice, like having to be there for him, having my own loss when she died, 
but having to immediately almost turn it off to be there for him. Right? And then when he went, just this sense of, to your point, anxiety. I can't pick up the phone and they're not there. So I, I really appreciate you saying it that way. Yeah, and I feel like you feel like a piece of you has been like ripped out of you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what this therapy has done is to be like, no, it's still there. Mm, you know, like all those positive memories are still there and yeah, it's sort of that. like unearthing that. It's not lost. It's, it's not lost. integration. Yes, right? yeah. yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. I hadn't ever had reason to explore that therapy, so I'm glad that people get to hear about it. I want to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. I think that like the effect sort of fades over time. I think it's helpful for me to do maintenance. <laughs> segue you and your dad both shared this very traumatic moment and then you both shared this therapy that seemed to work well and now here you are a year later which is not much time passed right but i sense you know from seeing you both and from what you're expressing that decidedly better than last year how or if has that shifted your experience now with your dad's moment and by moment i mean his elder care stage you and i talked recently about predictably like most parents want i want to stay in my own home i don't want to move i think you feeling the struggle maybe i should bring him closer to me maybe we should find the rest home sort of situation like my mom had assisted living basically so has there been learnings or something in the shared experience in the last year that is informing now how you think about your dad's moment, or maybe even the two of you talk about it together. When I think back about my mom, my mom had a great life. We want to make somebody happy, let them study astronomy. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, I missed that memo. (laughs) And, you know, she always said that she just wanted to drop dead one day, and she got it. And thinking about my dad, one of the things I try to keep in mind all the time is he really gets to call the shots, at least, and he's totally Mm. with it mentally. Mm. So as much as... I found the perfect nursing home that I'm ready to move into. (laughs) Um, I have to make sure that I listen to him and his life and he can live it as he wants to. With my mom, her birthday was in April and she passed away in July. And for her birthday, I had given her a a box of 87. I was actually 88 to give her a bonus one. (laughs) Memories of my life with her. And so... I was really glad that I did that. And with my dad, trying to be conscious of expressing my gratitude and and sharing with him my gratitude for the life we've had together. Has anything shifted now that it's just your dad? So my mom was the one that sort of did everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget after my mom died, it was my father, my brother, and I. And our neighbors had been kind to give us food. So we were sitting and dinner was over and nobody got up to clear the dishes. (laughs) We really miss her. (laughs) She was the the engine that kept everything together. But yeah, so I I would say my dad and I have always been very close. close. So it's very useful for people to understand the pragmatic aspects of choice, including if you have means or you don't have means. So in your dad's situation, the last time you and I talked, there was definitely the sense of most adult kids start to be like, okay, I'm in charge now. I need to make the decisions. I was flipping new resources like what about Mm -hmm. this place what about this place Mm -hmm. and it feels super easy and logical that you can just look at all the choices decide the best one i was like put your dad's name on all the waiting lists and then like call it done and then to your point your dad is a completely sentient independent guy (laughs) who's presumably not going to be like sure just pull you all up to the house and let's go so Tell me about what happened between when you and I were just having those passing conversations to now. I think you said, he, does he have 24-hour care? Yeah, yeah. And, and if you don't mind describing 
how much of that is a function of having the means like monetary means either himself or mm. you to put that in place versus how much is it maybe you found resources that mm. assist in the community that assist for something yeah. like that. So he was living independently until about June this year and then we decided to go on a family vacation to Washington State and my f- phone had exploded and you're sitting in Washington, right? Yeah, I'm the plane in, yes. Sitting on the tarmac, pick up my phone and I'm like, oh no. And luckily he's had this wonderful community of neighbors and they were all calling saying they were so concerned about him. So it turned out to be sepsis to like a bile duct stone and so he was in the hospital. So they were Um, calling because was there a precipitating moment? Yeah. yeah. He got rushed to the hospital and thank goodness got on antibiotics and it was a very, very minor procedure. But two weeks in the hospital bed is like two months of rehab. So I think this is what happens is when you're frail and you're 89, something like that can really set you back and you can not be the same. And so he got out of rehab but there's just no way he could be by himself. And so we ended up going through an agency because we need something fast. Mm. So this person came in and she's been living with him like full time. Up. And to your point, it's jaw dropping expensive. Luckily, my parents had signed up for long term uh, care insurance. Let's repeat that yes. <laughs> for everybody to hear. First, all to choose yes. to do. Say it again, please. Luckily, my parents have signed up for long term care insurance. In fact, my mom fought it for a long time because right. she didn't want to face reality, mm-hmm. but my dad insisted that they do it. And also, very expensive. It's mm-hmm. like $9,000 a year. At Which least. is why so many people Don't. resist it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So the agency is about $300 a day and his insurance covers about 200 Okay, It's still expensive. Yeah. And he also has a, a crew of people that were looking after him. I really lucked out. This has made my journey bearable. This woman, Catherine, who's an ICU nurse, has taken on my father. And both my parents, actually, she was there for my mom, too. So she has a preventative care practice. And then she just has taken She's on She's almost just, like his primary. She is. So he's in charge of all his medical stuff, but, you know, also like fortunately for us runs a lot of the, the errands. So, you know, like she went and got one of those ejector chairs. So when he came home from rehab, he could get out of the chair. (laughs) I only ever call it an ejector chair now. So I, I feel so, so fortunate because she fills so many roles in our family that I, I don't think it would have been possible living two hours away yeah. otherwise. So she, you know, has this medical role where yeah. she takes care of minor issues and also takes him to all his doctor's appointments yeah. and thinks about his global, you know, care. Holistic care, yeah. yeah. and then she coordinates all the other caretakers right. and does a lot of the practical stuff. Yeah. She's also a huge source of support for me. Wow. I know she'll always pick up the phone when I call, and she's sort of like the sister I never wow. had. And... I'm so grateful for that, that she knows my parents. It really feels like she's in the trenches with me. Everything that you're describing is everything I had to do on behalf myself while yeah. working full time and raising yeah. a kid. So for people to understand if they're like, I want a Catherine too, is she a named resource or is she just a happen no, to be like a family No, we connection? just happened to luck out. That was one of the things when we were thinking about moving my dad to Boston, mm-hmm. I was asking these nursing homes. They're great, but they're more focused on the residential aspect. Exactly. And yeah. I was like, who's sort of going to be in charge of his care yeah. and they're like you can get a case manager yep. but that's a social worker that doesn't have the medical exactly. side and they also have a lot of clients yep. right yep. Uh, so are you paying her in any way we are so she used to be covered by the long-term care insurance oh, okay. 
Okay. But now we're paying it for the full-time caretaker. As a yeah, private yeah. caretaker. So I'm lucky in the sense that my parents were thrifty their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Like, we stayed in that shack, and mm-hmm. when yeah. it rained, the, it rained into my bed. <laughs> I like, remember putting up big buckets on the floor. And now, um, 40 years later, you're like, it was worth it. It was worth it, yes. Long-term care insurance. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because I find a lot of people leave resources on the tables that they don't know are there. The tough part is most of the people that I hear talking about the stress and the cost, it's because they have enough to be able to spend towards some of it, but maybe not quite enough to last. And that freaks everybody out. So case in point with my parent figures who were childless, he was a GE guy and he had millions behind Mm -hmm. him. And yet they let her die the exact death she didn't want in a nursing home, hopped up and on drugs because they convinced themselves that the money behind them would possibly last long enough for both of them to choose the private caregiving support that they would have preferred. That's my EMDR moment, quite frankly. Like I, that one haunted me for Mm -hmm. years, especially because I lived to see the end of the tale, which was, there was plenty of money. He got to die in his own bed, surrounded by his village of support. And so they didn't have to make that choice. But the finance part scares all of us into making really tough decisions. Well, you don't know how long. It's the hard part. There was an article in the New York Times about this long-term insurance premiums keep going up yes now is the time that i should be buying long-term care insurance and i'm like i've still got to pay for my kid's college right Right. and of course now that we're making claims like the long-term insurance is looking for any reason they can to drop off opened my dad's mail the other day and there was a letter from them saying you haven't made a claim in two months we're gonna drop you what? And I was like, you're dropping us for not making a claim? Oh, they, they obviously know God. what's coming down the road, oh, you know? My, so, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute. You were just saying, for as much as you have the support of amazing resource Catherine, who sounds like a unicorn that maybe not everybody would get to have, that you were remiss in talking about what you just did, which was leave the island to go home, to go to your own doctor's appointment, and then support your child's birthday party with all of her classmates, and then run down to Connecticut to get your dad. Hope that he was in good enough shape, um, because you all just had randomly hospital stints, to come onto the island, so make an assessment of whether he could come, drive back, to the ferry and our conversation was planned around the fact that you need to be present for him in the morning to get him going. So as rosy as it is that you have this resource and you can be at a distance in a way that was really a struggle for me, tell people the real impact on you and your marriage and your kids and your family of what it's like. Yeah, it's a constant calculation. I texted you, Rachel, and I was like, I'm trying to decide whether I stay to the end of my daughter's birthday party for cake or I go and get my dad. And so everything is a calculation. I drive to Connecticut once a week, but what is that doing to my metabolic health? Once a week. I didn't realize. So tell me more about that. So that was before the 24-hour care. In the past year, I've been going there maybe three out of four weeks. And how long Um, is that drive? Just to get people sense of... It's about two and a quarter. Yeah. And it's your icky, gross highway. I know know that drive. Yeah. Um, and you would stay for what, a day? Or? Yeah, a night or two. But then it's always the calculation, how long can I be away from my kids Yeah. versus exactly. making sure his needs are met. Absolutely. Um, I won't be shy. And if my husband were standing here, he would nod his head vigorously. There is a serious strain that this stuff yeah. takes on the family unit, on the marriage. We, we are 
absolutely incredible when this shit is going down. Like when my mom almost died a couple times again <laughs> this last month. We do like the Tai Chi of death work. One of us is on the kid, the other on the dog, I'm on the mom. We're respectful, we're thoughtful, we're supportive, and then as soon as it's all over, all hell breaks yeah. loose. Because you've used up all your extra resources, you've used up all your kindnesses, so we've had many many years of trying to recalibrate in fact yeah. i was looking back at our text that you appreciated my the talk that i did where i described it as being a bionic phoenix you rise and you fall mm -hmm. and you rebuild and you rise mm -hmm. and you fall and you rebuild what has that experience been like for you and your family what moment are you finding yourselves in right now right now my dad's here with us and mm -hmm. so i do have to take care of him but it's a lot easier because he's here mm -hmm. but even yesterday it was like my dad wanted me to play a game with her and i wanted to take my dad for a walk because he mm -hmm. hadn't moved all day yeah and she couldn't understand that she's right. like well, i want the game now <laughs> <laughs> i do feel like i'm being pulled in in many different directions and i often think about what does this look like from my kids perspective mm -hmm. how do they feel about watching me take care of somebody else. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they'll do the same for us. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, maybe, like, maybe not. <laughs> maybe they'll feel like you weren't there. But what ends up happening is some of my personal goals mm -hmm. get lost in the cracks. I was offered a job to be chairman of my department this year. Wow. And I had to turn it down because oh I was like, I can't take on this job and have my almost 90 year old father and have my kids. The timing wasn't right. I'm glad you express that specifically. This is where I feel like our text, we get like 70% of what happened and then we get together and <laughs> yes. we're like, whoa. <laughs> so you had said, Rachel, I feel like it's important for you to talk to your listeners about the trade-offs. I hadn't realized that it was the chair of your department. That's a yeah. really big deal. Yeah. I guess my thought process was There'll be other opportunities in the future. Um, and and I, I appreciate how grounded you are in that perspective. There's only one moment when I realized I steady paying job that I couldn't mm -hmm. sort of follow this stuff, my creative interest, because it didn't pay. I was in debt and I knew I'd have to support my parents. And my mom would actively ask me about it. And I would say to her around that time, I was like, yeah, I'm a little bitter. <laughs> like, I'm mm, a little pissed off yeah, about the trade-off. Yeah, yeah. In retrospect... Not at all, because I was very, very conscious and careful about not selling my soul, doing the work that was meaningful yeah. for me, and making a decision in the way that I can tell you just did, which was, it's a moment in time, it's contextual, yeah. it's perspective, and I am in, in a working environment where you're supposed to aspire hierarchically, and I was just having this thought today. I wouldn't trade my current level and my therefore my autonomy and flexibility for anything right. because it's what gives me the choice to be with my child or caretake my mom and not mm -hmm. feel stretched and be able to make sure my marriage is not on fire yeah. and I, one of the other things you just made me think about is the ebb and the flow of the child experience and even the the partner experience undeniably my husband and son are committed to my mom, adore her, thrilled to have her part of our life in the same way we were having my husband's mom around. Therefore, when I had to come down the stairs a month ago and be like, mm, grandma's in the hospital, I think this is it, and watch the tears fill up in their eyes and watch them basically, your moment, like, too soon, mm -hmm. not ready. And grandma bounced back and she came home and a couple weeks went by and I was like, okay, now it's time to bring grandma over. My son was like, <sighs> and I was like, let's just assess this moment here. Two weeks ago, I tell you she's about to die and you were super upset. Have you made any effort <laughs> to see her? In the meantime, he's like, oh, 
And it was it was a really great moment. So to your point, not that I can speak for your kids, but they're kids. They're going to have those present moment like, I want what I want, or I don't want to have to spend my time visiting grandma. And yet we have constant dialogue in our family about at any given moment. Yeah. In fact, it's a joke with grandma now. Kiss her goodbye, because she might not make it till the next dinner. <laughs> so it's a family conversation. But I would say with deep authority that my son is the incredible person he is in large part because he had to be present through all these integrated moments yeah. and he was he's he's never not been around death in an integrated way he's he knows both sides of it it's not been hidden from him he chose to be at our dog's death when we put him down mm -hmm. and he was often the joy in those moments yes. right yeah, for other absolutely. people as yes. i know yeah. your kids are so yeah it's tough as a parent and you look at their little faces and you're like in this particular moment, they're not admiring my <laughs> my commitment it's to my me, father. Me. <laughs> yeah. This is a very good note to end on. So the sun is shining, the waves are breaking. I can hear your children playing croquet with mine. It's a bucolic moment for both of us compared to other years that we've had this sure. around talking yeah. about. I just hope as we continue our conversations as we do through the year and yeah. come back again next year that things have played out as well as we can wish for them to. You can't predict it. You can't control it. Do you feel like now that you have a little practice, do you feel a little bit more comfortable, confident, at peace with however things play out with your dad? No, I can't remember who said it, but it's like when grief hits you, it's nothing like you expect, mm -hmm. right? So it it's hard to know how I'll feel. To be continued. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for putting these resources together oh, and goodness. making me laugh. We'll end on this note, actually. It would be totally remiss if I did not name the entire reason this thing exists is in very large part because of our friendship and your cheerleading of my work. When I put together some verbatims, when I got my first initial reactions, I think my all-time favorite was from you and you're like, it's even better than you said it was gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sitting here back at home. We just got back from the vineyard. We've been going there for close to 50 years. What does a vineyard mean to you? A lot of happy memories over the years, particularly with the children when they were young. <clears throat> and the other thing that means to me is nothing ever changes. <laughs> if, you, if you look closely, there are changes different people and that, but you don't really notice it. The only thing that changes is us. <laughs> I remember asking you at one point what you were surprised about by the way your life turned out. And you said, I'm surprised that we've gone back to the same place every year for 50 years. <laughs> one tradition that's been really fun on this vacation has been listening to an audiobook together. We listened to one about a woman who developed CRISPR. And in the book, she talks about how her father encouraged her interest in science just like you did with me yeah what is your it mother about? Too. and my mom too Abs yeah. absolutely yeah. both of you my mom was an astronomer and you're a physicist yeah so what is it about science that you like and what do you hope your kids and grandkids will get from it well it's uh, like some excitement and there's a certain beauty to it and uh, i hope that gets transmitted mm -hmm. can you explain more when you say there's a certain beauty to it well, the elegance of it all, how it all hangs together. Mm -hmm. We don't have all the answers, but what we have all fit into a scheme.
That's an answer from a physicist. <laughs> it all comes together. A few nice equations. So, how has our relationship changed over the years? Well, you've got to be more adult. <laughs> it's nice to see you raising your own family. Mm-hmm. you got spectacular kids. Well, it's been fun to have both the younger and the older generations. And since this is a podcast about elder care, what advice do you have for other adults out there that are caring for their elderly parents? I'll encourage them to get long-term insurance. <laughs> long-term insurance. <laughs> and the other thing is, what served me well is having made good friends with many of my neighbors over the years. Yeah. They're wonderful people. Yeah. Yeah, we're really lucky to live in a neighborhood that looks after you. Yeah. They grocery shop for you. Yeah. They cook you meals every mm-hmm. week. And they've been doing that for years. Yeah. And do you think that was an accident or was that something you intentionally tried it to do? It wasn't intentional. It was just an accident. But you got lucky with nice people mm-hmm. around you. From my perspective, that's been a big help, too, because I know I can always call the neighbors and ask for well, them to check in on you or see how you're doing. Anything else you want to say? Oh, I say, try to exercise as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you discovered that lesson when you were, what, 88? Yeah. <laughs> it's never too late, though, to yeah. <laughs> turn over a new leaf. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Mother was a big exerciser. She yeah. ran road races until she was 85. Right. She made a lot of good friends. She made a lot of good friends that way and loved her fellow runners. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. You still going? Your turn. Oh, okay. Let's see. Follow my monthly podcast for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your irreverent radio. In between, you can find support, education, and hundreds of resources on my website, thisisgettingold.com. Just add some dashes. Sign up for my newsletter to receive my latest insights, anecdotes, audio, and ever-growing list of shit. Performing my theme music is my mom and my son. My audio producer is Michelle Rado of Flying Fate Audio, and I am Irreverent Rachel, leaving you with some classic island outtakes. Now, go embrace your own irreverence. I got another outtake. Oh, wow. <laughs> that oh, cool? my goodness. Look at that. What kind of fish is that? Stripe wow. Stripe Amazing. It's a good one, huh? And then in May, it would be like, I can't wait for the vineyard. So I would get all these messages. Um, <laughs> and on her on her desk. You got a little person. Oh, That's okay. Hi. I got some. Oh, oh, no. Go put some vinegar on it. Is it a jellyfish? Yeah. Oh, no. And I thought you were getting out of the water. Oh, man. Sorry. Get Papa to put some jelly. Put some jelly. <laughs>